Rebels, it's 2018. Can you believe it? It's a brand new year. We're starting the year off right. What a great time to be alive right here in 2018. Rebel Parenting, starting the year off, helping you be better parents, better spouses to your husbands, wives, kids. Our guest today is our friend Todd White. Why we have Todd White on our first broadcast of 2018 is because we want to hear a message about Jesus Christ. Todd was a drug addict and atheist for 22 years when in 2004 he was radically set free. Todd believes that the redemption and righteousness are foundational keys for living life as a new creation in Christ. Todd's foremost desire is to see the Holy Spirit flowing through believers everywhere they go, at work, school, Grocery stores, malls, gas stations, everywhere. Todd's true joy is being able to reproduce a 24-7 kingdom lifestyle in every believer. His heart is to activate people in the simplicity of who they really are and confront the barriers that hold them back from being who God created them to be. No one is excluded. Producer Kay started listening to Todd White a while ago, turned Laura on to him, then Laura turned me on to him. We love Todd White. We love his message. We want to start the year off right, going straight to Jesus. So without any further ado, here is Todd White on the first 2018 edition of Rebel Parenting. So uh, I guess like I love to start in the in the place of, you know, my mom my mom and my dad weren't thinking about having a boy when they came together. My mom and my dad came together. They weren't thinking about having a baby. They were thinking like a lot of couples do, just the the act without the reproduction. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and so when I was born, I was I always share this because so many people get messed up in their childbirth in the fact that you know they're rejected by their mom, rejected by their dad. It's a huge dilemma, and we can't afford to reduce the gospel down to psychology. Mm. This is a supernatural <laughs> yeah. blood of Jesus reality of what God's called you, and that he knew about you before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. So so since God knew about me before the foundation of the world, even though I didn't know about him, mm-hmm. he knew about me. And he planned me, and he knew the day I was going to be born. He knew the night I was going to be conceived. So on the night of conception, there's 80 million other chances of me headed for an egg. <laughs> Yeah. I, always, I love sharing I love it. it because it's true. So I'm one out of like 80 million, maybe 100 million, but let's just go with 80. One with that. So so there's 79,999,999 other chances of me headed towards an egg. Yeah. And everybody else is ahead of me and they have jackhammers and sledgehammers and saws and they're trying to get in the egg. And and when I get there, I'm they going all back to all those little documentary yeah. films. I can see them all around. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Where are we going? We're yeah. getting it. Yeah, 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 yeah. School. And so right. when I get there, I don't have a tool. I don't have anything. And I get there, they part like the Red Sea, and I jump right in. And so from inside the egg, I tell everybody because my mind hasn't been trained by the world yet. Uh, even though you were born in sin, at this point, I have no idea what that even is because yeah. I'm not, mm. I'm not, I'm not born yet. So I'm inside of the egg, and my voice says to every other that got swept away somewhere, all the millions of other chances. I say, sorry guys, I was predestined before the foundation of the world. <laughs> if we don't see that, what we'll miss the opportunity that we've had since the day we were born. Mm. What we'll do is we'll allow the rejection and the mom or the dad that left, that will determine our value, when mm. really our value is determined by the price that heaven paid. So, I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die on the cross because I was such a horrible sinner. He died on the cross so that God could have his family back. Man forfeited their identity in the garden. Mm. So we became, we took on the very nature of God's enemy. 
in the garden we became our mind became at war against God and that's what happened hmm. so so when you see Jesus I know I jumped from the womb all the way to the cross but um and I'll share my my testimony here but yeah. it, it's all based on this so Jesus is on that tree the value system of heaven is determined by the price that was paid for me. Mm -hmm. So Jesus didn't die because I was such a horrible sinner. Jesus died for me so that I could have life. He who knew no sin became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. The price that was paid for me on Calvary determines my value. So sin was mm -hmm. the issue. It was a huge issue, but underneath of that sin was a great value for heaven to have been bankrupt and send the son to get me back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my value depends upon the value of Jesus. Yeah. So God sowed Jesus into the earth, and so unless a seed died, it remains alone. Yep. But Jesus, that seed, see the devil never saw it coming. See, he missed that scripture. He missed that coming out of Jesus' mouth. He missed that unless a seed dies and falls, in, it just went right over his head. And so on the day that Jesus was crucified, and Jesus had become sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. The devil never saw it. And it said that he was crucified for my offenses. And the devil had no idea in Romans 4.25. No idea that there be a resurrection. So crucified for my offenses, but he was raised for my justification. So the sucker punch for the devil. Bang! <laughs> right. He hits him once and the devil thought, yeah, well, I'm going to kill him. It's over. So Jesus goes, and I believe that in the Bible it says that Jesus descended into the pit. Mm -hmm. And so the devil thought he won. And so for three days he rejoiced, oh. thinking that he whooped this, and it's over. But on that third day, light lit up darkness. And Jesus didn't say dead. And so Jesus was raised for my justification. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that means just as if I never ate the tree, just as if I never sinned. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. So if I see myself in the created value that I have, It'll change everything. So our identity is everything. So, so after I was born, my mom and dad, they didn't stay together um, past my 11 years old. At 11, they got divorced. And then my dad left, and I freaked out. And I became just, I just became psychotic, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And I tormented my mom. So my mom thought, it's going to be better for you that I'd send you somewhere they could handle you. So I went to a place called the Masonic Homes. And I was raised by the Freemasons. Mom didn't know what the Masons were. All they were were an opportunity for me to get help because mm. I was out of control. And yeah. there was a system that could, where we had chores, we had tutors, we had study. I mean, it's a, it was really, it was, a, it was hugely programmed. At 11 you went there? At 11 I okay. went there. So I started drugs at 11. So mm -hmm. I started to get high to try to make everything go away. And then I started to take pills and alcohol, whatever. So by 12 I was fully addicted. I was addicted to pornography at eight years old. Mm -hmm. At just a young boy, I found a book that I shouldn't have, and, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it just became yeah. like a master over me. Yeah. So sin, I'd become like a slave to sin totally. mm -hmm. my whole life, and mm -hmm. just crazy. I didn't have Christians in my family. I had people on fire for God, and, and I ended up uh, for the next few years at this home just getting into more trouble and more trouble and more trouble and more trouble. Finally, I ended up getting kicked out of this home. I came home. My mom was remarried. My stepdad I ended up just telling my stepdad that he's not my dad, you get out of my face, and just had authority yeah. issues. I went and, and left, and then I got dared to join the military. I joined the Marine Corps. I went down to Paris Island and was in boot camp down there. Dropped about 73 pounds in boot camp because I mouthed off mm -hmm. the whole time, and they took my food away and made me PT till you drop, you know, and I became a machine. And when I came out of there, I thought, Everything's different. Everything's changed. I'm a real man. Like, this mm. is it. I'd stand at parade rest, which is just the position with your hands behind your back. And and uh, my mom was like, wow, you really changed, you know. And 
that happened for a little bit. I went back to base. I started partying with the guys again, like going out drinking, clubbing. All the weekends we'd go fill bathtubs up with beer and at the Ramada Inn and go to the clubs and just party and do that silly thing. So uh, a couple months in, I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, I want to go home again, you know, and leave. And they said no, and I left anyway. And I went AWOL, went unauthorized absence, it's called. I went home. I ripped off a drug dealer for a bunch of money that couldn't be traced. Um, ripped him off, took a bunch of my friends, four of my friends, and drove three of my friends, and drove out to Colorado, right here. Hmm. Ended up um, going up in the mountains and up there in Frisco County, up in there. I got busted a few months later. I got put in jail. I got extradited back from Frisco County Jail down to Camp Lejeune. I got put in military prison. I was down there in the brig for about five and a half months, and then they let me out, court-martialed me from Lance Corporal down to private, mm. and then they said, you know, it's gonna take you, I just was like, I don't, I don't wanna be in anymore. I went to clergy, told them I was crazy. They wouldn't let me out no matter what, so I'm like, okay, so I just left. I, I went mm. AWOL again, um, came right back out here again. How, how long after you got out of prison did you go AWOL again? Uh, Ballpark? Couple months. Oh, okay. I didn't wanna be there, man. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't wanna do yeah. this stupid thing. I, I came, I shouldn't have joined. I ended up um, going back to the brig again, second extradition, mm. orange jumpsuit. Back there, got put in military jail. Um, ended up just messing up, man, big time. Mm. It was What's in solitary. Like? Military jail for uh, going AWOL. It's, it's uh, well, I mean, it's the brig down in Camp Lejeune. So, I mean, you do you fill sandbags. You, it's not like you sit there and do nothing. You right. Have, you, you do work. Uh, amongst other soldiers is that... Is that a big deal oh, for you to leave? No. The people that are oh, your well, that, jailers and that are over you, is it? I didn't care what anybody said. Really? Okay. So they could be mad. I'd just, just fight somebody. It didn't yeah. matter. Like, you're not going to disrespect me. I mean, I lived You didn't want to be there anyway. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, whatever, dude. You know? I mean, mm -hmm. I was I was just out there. So I ended, up, um, I ended up getting kicked out, got a bad conduct discharge, came out, came home, couldn't really get jobs. Just Is it just totally thwart? regular employment oh well I mean when you put that down on your yeah. application so I didn't put it down because I didn't want to I just lied about everything man. Sure. so my whole life was a big lie mm -hmm. and uh, ended up um, going out to the clubs and bar hopping and all that stuff and then I met a girl in a bar and tricked her into thinking I was amazing and uh, we ended up moving in together and and then a year and a half in we had this baby and when my daughter was born. I had no idea how to be a dad. Mm. And so that whole responsibility thing hit me and depression hit me mm. and suicidal thoughts hit me like immediately the whole thought of suicide because how am I going to provide for her? Like I can't hold a job. Mm. I would get high on the way to take a pee test. Like I, I mean, it's a problem. Like I had a problem, man. It didn't matter to me. Ended up just messing up everything. And then she was going to leave me. And I told her if she left me, I would kill myself. And mm. And I was really serious. And then she told me she was going to find another man to take care of her. And that just mm -hmm. enraged me yeah. to think that another man was going to be around this daughter mm -hmm. of mine. And regardless if I couldn't be a dad or not. And, and I ended up threatening to take uh, my girl's life out if she ever left me, take whoever she's with out, and then take my life out. She was more concerned about me taking my life, but she didn't understand the thoughts that were in my head mm -hmm. about jealousy and rage and just how angry I was. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, I, I had thoughts of stabbing people and slitting people's throats and just bad stuff, man. You know, and I never acted on it, but I had those thoughts there. Mm -hmm. And she stayed with me for seven and a half years of my daughter's life. Mm -hmm. And I come home one night, finally, like I was hooked on cocaine, and it was that bad that 
I mean, it was bad, bad, bad. And she took my daughter and left, and she went to her mom's. And I'm like, that's it. So I went over, I drove over to her stepdad's house to get a rifle because he had a gun cabinet. So I was going back to the gun cabinet, and I, flipped by, I passed by a phone book, and I opened it up, and it opened to churches. And I'm like, I'm not looking for, like, a church right now. This is so stupid. But I made a check at it, and I, I went to this one church out of 586 churches in my hometown in York, Pennsylvania, where we lived. And I drove to this church, and I met and somebody. And you went to the gun cabinet. You stopped, saw the stopped. church, and just went. No, I stopped by the phone book. I stopped right at the phone book, right on the mantle. So I'm on the way to the gun cabinet. The phone book's laying on the top of a mantle. I opened it up. Opened the churches. I just took the Sharpie pen by random and marked one of them. And, and then I just drove to this church as angry mm. as could be. And I was going to the church to give somebody a piece of my mind. Yeah. So I went there. I met this amazing pastor. I didn't know he was amazing. I, I just thought he was a crazy man. He was all happy and full of joy. I was like, you yep. made me mad. And, and he started talking to me about Jesus. And I told him I didn't come here to hear about Jesus. You know. And he said, this is a church. But I didn't have a grid for Jesus in the church. Mm. 34 years of my life, no one had shared the gospel with me. So I didn't have anybody come up to me and tell me that God loved me, had a plan for my life, that, you know, that God really wants to, you know, work things out and wants you to know who He is. He wants you to know your creative value. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not walking out what God says you are. And I didn't have anybody. And so my life was just a mess. And this guy tells me, since I don't want my life, why don't I give it to somebody that does? And I couldn't uh, reconcile in my mind why someone would want my life because mm-hmm. all I did was hurt people. Mm-hmm. So my mind was that messed up that, I mean, it was messed up. The world's mind is messed up. Yeah. I don't care how good you think you are. Like, the truth is, is that without Jesus, you're messed up. Yep. People are like, well, no, no, not as messed up as you. And what we do is we allow self-righteousness to come in there mm-hmm. and think that you've got it better than I do. But really, if you miss one law, you've transgressed them all. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't matter. So we, we're so used to comparing each other to another. When you get before Jesus, you realize that the only one you could have compared yourself to is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you fell short. And so it's just so amazing. Anyway, this guy tells me about Jesus. I'm like, whatever, dude. You know, if he wants it, he can have it because I don't want my life anymore. That was pretty much my prayer, and I uh, took his number. He gave me his number, and I left. I went home, and I called my daughter. I told her to tell mommy, daddy found God. She asked me what he was like. I said, I don't know, but I met a pastor today. There's something in this guy's eyes, like it's just real. Something's real. Like he knows something. I mean, he talks about this Jesus, and he says that he loves your dad, and he loves you. And, And so my daughter kicked and screamed and got mom to come home, and mom was just so angry and she's not a Christian and she's so fed up because I've hurt us and uh, that night I was on the couch and sleeping on the couch I put my daughter to bed first you know and went out on the couch and there it was man starting to do bong hits and everything else again Mm and before you know it man cocaine's calling my name so I'm out on a binge first night and uh, I remember calling that pastor in the morning I called him his name's Dan I said your stupid Jesus doesn't work and he said, what do you mean he doesn't work? With a chuckle. <coughs> and I said, you think it's funny? And I shared with him. He goes, Todd, how does that make you feel? Like what you did last night. I said, horrible. He said, thank God. He said, two days ago, you wouldn't even have cared. Mm-hmm. He goes, there's a seed that's growing inside of you. And I'm like, make it grow faster. And I remember hanging mm-hmm. up the phone and just being angry. And the next night I did it again. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. And I kept mm-hmm. doing the same thing. And... Five and a half. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. Because your story is so powerful, and yet, the here's what I think. This is this is a common thing when people are stuck in addiction, when they're stuck in pornography, or they're stuck in drugs, or alcohol, yeah. or sex, or whatever it is that they're stuck in. 
You found the Lord. The seed is planted. It begins to grow. And you go back to it, and you go back to it, and you go yep. back to it. And the Lord still says, I'm standing at your door and I'm mm-hmm. knocking. Yeah. Right? And I think yeah. so often we receive grace. Yeah. And then we look at somebody else and we're like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't, you, you, you can't sin again. You, yeah. You know? Well, with my life, man, I mean, there's doctrine out there right now that, that says that grace just forgives you and you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. That's not grace. Right. Mm-hmm. Grace doesn't say I can live a life of sin and get away with it. No way. Mm-hmm. But grace is like it, it's the ability to, to approach the throne of grace in time of need. Right. But I didn't understand any scripture. I, and my my huge thing was I never read a book because I couldn't read. Mm-hmm. I had a comprehension disorder. Mm. And so even though a seed was planted, I never nurtured the seed of, of God and nurtured. I, and all I did was live in this carnal nature that I'd been born with. So now even though I'm born again, there's mm-hmm. a seed that's planted. It's there. I couldn't read and fellowship with God. I had no idea the power of the word and the power of the truth of what Jesus says I am. I had no idea that I was supposed to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I had no idea that I was not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I had no idea that I needed to seek to understand who I was in Christ and who Christ was in me. I had no idea. So what I was doing, I was riding on this pastor's faith and someone else's faith can never mm. get you by. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so in my life, it was this guy never told me that I was whacked out, and the reason why I was this way was because of this, this, and this. He only told me what the Scripture says that I am. He kept telling me who Christ said I am. This is who Jesus says you are. You're, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. How could Christ? And I'd argue with him. Mm-hmm. And then he'd bring another Scripture and bring truth, and bring truth, and bring truth, and bring truth. And, and, and he was saturating me with the truth. So And then, as I continued in this addiction, because it continued, I felt even more horrible mm-hmm. about what I was doing. Yeah. Because, and, but it was not, it was this conviction that I didn't know was conviction. But since I didn't obey conviction, condemnation was present. Mm-hmm. And it was a horrible place mm-hmm. to be. I didn't understand the truth. Like, I, I mean, he was telling me, but you can't ride on someone else's faith. You need to have an encounter with Jesus. You need to have an encounter with him. Yeah. And so he, he taught me about grace and, and, and he was teaching me, but I never opened the Bible. And even when I did, I didn't understand anything. Words would go backwards. I, I'd see, it's just crazy. I couldn't understand. I never read a book my whole life, 34 years. So for 34 years, I never have read a book at all. Mm. Not one, the whole way through school, none. I just had a, tr- I, I was the comprehension. When it came to comprehension, like if you read and, and answer questions, I got, I, I failed everything. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't retain. Like my brain had been fried, big time. Like big time fried. Plus my thoughts were like, twisted and mm-hmm. I had no idea how to redeem thoughts. I didn't understand any of it. So five and a half months later I go out and, and I rip off this dealer one night from New York. I got him in my car. Five and a half months into this, Jesus incorporated. I didn't surrender. I incorporated. <laughs> so when you incorporate Jesus into your life and don't surrender your life, you're just a target for the devil mm-hmm. every day. He just comes and pins you and he'll come and nail you. And so that's what was happening to me. Um, I went out one night and I ripped off my last dealer. Um, I'm out. I got him in the car. I tell him I'm a cop. I hold the drugs in my hand. Tell him to get out of the car and put his hands on the hood. And he, I beat him. He was like, he, you know, I can't believe you're a cop. I knew you were a cop. I should never. And he's freaking out, screaming, cussing. Tell him to get out of the car. And when he does, I hit the gas and he unloaded a nine millimeter at me. And when the gun blast came out, I heard a voice say, "I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet?" And I have no idea. 
that this is Jesus speaking to me. Mm. I think I just got shot and I'm dying mm. and I'm going to die. This guy was right outside my door and unloaded and the blasts of light came through my vehicle. Like it wasn't yeah. a... Yeah. And so I spun out, and, and I noticed that after I got out of town, I wasn't in pain. I wasn't hurting anywhere. My endorphins were cranking because I thought, I think I'm shot. And I just broke open the bags of cocaine and just did all these drugs that night. And I couldn't get high, and every time I tried to, that voice killed my buzz. I pull into my driveway in the morning, and I look at my car, and I have no bullet holes in my car from 10 feet away. And the voice is still echoing. I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? I have no idea. I'm just I'm losing it. And I, I ended up that night, I ended up just going up to the door and just we got into a huge fight again, except I'm in fear now. My heart's pounding. <clears throat> a couple of days later in a place called Teen Challenge, I, I mm -hmm. gave up and went to Teen Challenge, lost my daughter, lost my girl, and went to this program. And I'm in this program for two months, and the Bible opened up to me. First scripture was mm -hmm. James, that if I lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all without finding fault. And I, I said, that's it. And I lack wisdom, God. And I just poured out my heart. And mm -hmm. God gave me peace. And it started to, my heart started, like it was crazy. The word opened up to me. And I started to devour it every day mm -hmm. and every morning. And I started to gain, I, I couldn't explain it, but it was burning in my heart. I would read it and it was producing life inside of me. Mm -hmm. First book ever I can understand was the Bible. It was like the most ridiculous, amazing thing. It's the only book that we actually need. Although other books are helpful. That's the one that's the instruction manual yep. on how to live. And so I'm like so in love with the word and the truth. And I ended up leaving this program 10 months early. And I'd quit everything in my life. I had these three nights where I had encounters with Jesus in a valley. I just mm. heard a voice say, do not fear, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the third night, same dream. Every morning I'd wake up at the same time, go down into the prayer room. I'd flip my Bible open and it opened to Psalm 23. And though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. So it was like totally freaky to me the first two days and then the third day I heard the voice of Jesus say go home restore friends and family and I actually packed my stuff and Pastor Dan came up picked me up and and uh, we drove to my house I stopped at the church first then we drove to the house and when I got there I realized I was a dad mm -hmm. for the first time in my life I helped my little seven and a half year old daughter as mm -hmm. a father I, I never realized what it meant to be a daddy and mm -hmm. I helped my kid so powerful I've missed seven and a half years of her life, you know, and and God's so faithful and so amazing. Like that day, I, I'm holding my daughter, and you know the supernatural power of the blood of Jesus. He takes old things, and they pass away, and you become new. But on that day, I'm telling my daughter how sorry I am, and just how much I love her, and how sorry I am. And my daughter says to me, she goes, "Daddy, what are you sorry for? You're home." And I had to tell her I couldn't live there because of what I've done, you know, and. And my daughter goes, no, this is your home, Daddy. And I keep telling her, I'm so sorry. And she says, what are you sorry for, Daddy? I said, for all the times that Daddy, because Mom would keep her up on the couch all night long waiting for me to come home, you know. Mm -hmm. I really tormented and messed everything up. And uh, I'm holding her. My, my girlfriend comes out of the house, and I told her how sorry I was and how messed up my life was. And I know Jesus. He's real. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand up and get a job and provide and and my, my girlfriend just kind of smiled at me because when I went away, she gave her life to Jesus. Oh. And I was so, like, oh. amazed at the love of Jesus, just how faithful he is. And I looked at this pastor, Dan. Dan Moeller is his name. Amazing man of God. He said, I've been pouring into your daughter and in your girl when you've been gone. 
And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, we need to plan this. And Dan said, you're not planning anything. We're doing this on Sunday in between first and second service. We're not planning this. It needs to happen now. This is covenant. And he explained the power of covenant. And it wasn't like everybody was going to come anyway. You know, I ruined everything. A couple people came, but boy, they were not happy. Her mom, her mom came. We got married. Her mom crying at the wedding. And I said, thanks for coming, Mom. She goes, I can't believe she married you. And her stepdad cussed me out. But I, but it did hurt. Like I, One thing that Jesus has done in my life is that he's enabled me to be free from offense, free from guilt, free from shame, and free from condemnation. So my, uh, my girl and I got married four days later, and we've been married for 13 years. And our oldest daughter is 20. You know, the great thing about that day on the porch when I'm telling my daughter how sorry I am, Jesus supernaturally by blood mm. cleansed her conscience from every dead work that her daddy had done. So she's 20 years old and has zero memory mm. of anything. She can't remember any of it. Like she couldn't remember any of it at seven and a half. It was completely wiped out because of righteousness and redemption. Right. Jesus removed it completely. Like she's 20 and if you could ask her, I don't remember anything except the night, the last night they followed me out in town when I got shot at. That's the only thing she could remember. And so now we have our 20-year-old, we have an 11-year-old, we have a 6-year-old, and we have a 15-month-old. And our 15-month-old was born addicted to heroin, and uh, we adopted him. Um, Mm -hmm. He was born addicted, and we went to rehab with him for three weeks. And now he's he's 15 months old. His name's Azariah. So we have Destiny, Zoe, Briley, and Azariah. And uh, Azariah, we named him that because he's the original name for Abednego, one of the three boys in the furnace. And so I figured that's a great name yeah. because when you're in the fire, you can manifest Jesus, come out and not smell like smoke. Mm. Amen. So awesome. So now I, I travel the world and I, I, I share the love of Jesus. I preach the gospel, but not just on a stage. Everywhere I go, yeah. I share the gospel because everyone you're in front of needs to know that there is a place for perfect peace and his name is Jesus. There's a place for redemption, and His name is Jesus. There's a place where old things pass away, all things become new. His name is Jesus. There's a place where you can cease from worry, anxiety, and that fear is crushed in the perfect love of God. And that is where it's at. And God wants to redeem whole families. You know, right now we're in the process down in, uh, down in Dallas. We do these training schools called Power and Love Schools, um, where they're training and identity schools. We just talked about one today. Um, we just did our 91st one. Um, they're like 10 sessions with six outreaches. We do five hours of outreach a day. We sandwich it between three services. So service, outreach, service, outreach, service. And then we do that for three days. And it's like we just hit the ground running. We teach people who they are, train them in who they are. And then uh, the byproduct is the miraculous. If you yeah. see sonship and the spirit of adoption, and the spirit of truth and realize who you are, the byproduct is, is the supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's where everywhere you go, miracles happen. Everywhere you go, salvation happens. Everywhere you go, freedom happens, deliverance happens. You become a conduit for the glory of God because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. But Christ coming out of us is that hope being made manifest. Mm-hmm. And Jesus wants us all to be conduits. So where the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. In Romans eight eleven says he dwells in us and he wants to quicken our mortal body. Like now, not just on the day we resurrect, but yeah. now. Every day, he wants to have dominion in everybody that would call themselves the hands and feet of Jesus because we're the body of Christ, the fullness of him that fills all and all. And if we see the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the head and we're the body and that Satan is beneath our feet because the highest part of hell is beneath the lowest part of us. 
And if we see who we are, we won't let the devil get in front of us ever again. And we won't rebuke him and command him to get behind us because he's beneath us. We need to see and understand who we are. It's pretty powerful, man. So right now down in Dallas, um, we go to Gateway Church down there with Pastor Robert Morris. Amazing. Um, I just talked to him. Uh, is James your dad? Yep. Okay. I just talked to him because I've heard of folks on the family and stuff before, but I, I've not listened to a bunch yep. of his messages. But I asked Pastor Robert, I said, he goes, oh, he goes, he's an amazing, 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 amazing <laughs> man. I guess they have a really he good is. relationship, yeah. I, I'm sure. He's a good guy. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, we're doing a, we're, we're in contract right now to do a ministry training center. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do a, we're going to have a school of up to 3,000 students Mm. to where I'm going to train them. We just did our 91st Power and Love School. So what we want to do is we want to have an identity training school to where we can focus intensely on what I'm sharing with you right now, basically, Mm -hmm. um, for a nine-month course. And and I want to be in contact with people's employers to find out how they're doing, and we're finding out the legality of all that stuff. But we're also we're also in the building in the facility. It has K through twelve Christian school. So a Christian school will be there with the ability to have up to seven hundred and fifty students. Wow! It's a school that's been in uh, in it's been in use for twenty three years. Hmm. The property's twenty six acres. It's got a football field, a baseball field. It's really ridiculous. It's wow. a two hundred thousand square foot facility um, that we're going to do a ministry identity training. Center. Is that open for anybody who would like to come and attend? Yeah, what we're going to do is we have to secure the we have to secure the place. So we we have sixty seven day, sixty six days left in contract. We have seventeen and a half million dollars we have to come up with, and so I, I mean God gives the vision, so He'll yeah. provide for it. So I, I've never been in a situation like this, but God said this is what I this is what I want you to do. So what I want to do is we do these power and love schools. We've done ninety one, like I said. How we long do, are they? They they're um, three and a half day schools. Okay. Three and a half days. Our next one's up in Massachusetts. And uh, it's, they're just amazing. We have Massachusetts, and then we have Brazil, Rio, and oh. then we have another one uh, in South Africa and Cape Town. Mm. So what do you see as, like, the biggest theme going through the church? I mean, you're getting to go all over the world. What do yeah. you hear, like, maybe the biggest blessing and the biggest cry out of the family? I just, like, for me, I, I honestly, I am seeing the body of Christ wake up to to her identity the heart that god has for her the reality of the father's heart and seeing what it means to be right with god Mm. and seeing her value before the father because if a husband sees his value before the father then he will get what he needs to get from god and if a wife sees her value of who she is before the father Mm. she'll get who she is from god and then when they come together they give god Mm -hmm. to each other yep they can never take away they can only add to So, so a husband should never have the ability to take away from his wife because her, the wife's identity needs to be secure in who the father says she is. And a wife should never be able to take away from the husband because the husband should know who he is in Christ. Right. It should never be, I love you, do you love me? <laughs> it should always be, I love you, and we give ourselves yeah. mm. to one another. It's, it's, it's amazing. And when the kids grow up in that, then that's what the kids see as a model that's right. for Christianity mm. and for who the father is. God wanted family. He didn't want like, yeah, he didn't. He didn't want orphans. It's I mean, even though we were all have the orphans. divorce culture because mm-hmm. it just messes up our relationship yeah, with God. Sure does. Mm-hmm. The whole but, familial. That's right. That's right. But if we see, if we see that that we're not in bondage to the law, right. that our husband's dead, mm-hmm. that we've actually now we're married to the bridegroom. Now that we're 
we've come into like it it says in second corinthians 11 it says bear with me in a little foolishness and indeed you do bear with me for i've betrothed you to one husband that i may present you as a chaste virgin to christ that's what it says so what that means is that your soul your mind your will and emotions the reality of your past has been forgiven that you've been blood-bought that the blood of jesus has cleansed your conscience from dead works to serve god and your mind is now a blank canvas for the Holy Spirit to write on. It's as if you've never been with the world before. Desired to present you as a chaste virgin of Christ. So that when you become married in covenant with God, right there, Satan still comes like he did to Eve. It says in the next scripture, it says, But I fear that just as Satan deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your mind might be corrupted and taken away from the simplicity and the purity of devotion and sincerity to Christ. It's this simple gospel, this simple finished work, simple covenant that Jesus paid the price for us to enter into. And when we enter into that place, marriage is so strong. And, and they, like I said, they can't take away from each other. They can only add. And it's amazing. It's what I believe Christianity is in marriage and family. Awesome. I know you're out of time. You've got so much to do tonight. Yeah, no, I love it. Anytime I can empower somebody to be free, I'm all about that. Rebels, thanks for joining us for our first broadcast in 2018. We appreciate it so much. Don't forget, tell your friends. If you've been blessed by this, if you're being helped by our broadcast, tell your friends. If they've got trouble in their marriage or in their parenting, or if they want an upgrade in their marriage and parenting, send them over to Rebel Parenting. That's what we're here for. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing it with your friends. Don't forget, Rebel Live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, Facebook.com slash J. Ryan Dobson. YouTube.com slash Rebel Parenting. God bless. We will see you next week.